Chapter Twelve of Myths and Legends of All Nations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lucy LaFaro, New South Wales, Australia. Myths and Legends of All Nations by Logan Marshall. Chapter Twelve: The Sack of Troy. The Trojan Horse. For ten years King Agamemnon and the men of Greece laid siege to Troy. But though sentence had gone forth against the city, yet the day of its fall tarried, because certain of the gods loved it well and defended it, as Apollo and Mars, the god of war, and Father Jupiter himself. Wherefore Minerva put it into the heart of Apius, lord of the isles, that he should make a cunning device wherewith to take the city. Now the device was this. He made a great horse of wood, feigning it to be a peace offering to Minerva, that the Greeks might have a safe return to their homes. In the belly of this there hid themselves certain of the bravest of the chiefs, as Menelaus and Ulysses, and Theos of Aetolian, and Machaon, the great physician, and Pyrrhus, son of Achilles. But Achilles himself was dead, slain by Paris, Apollo helping, even as he was about to take the city, and others also, and with them Epius himself. But the rest of the people made as if they had departed to their homes, only they went not further than Tenedos, which was an island near to the coast. Great joy was there in Troy when it was noised abroad that the men of Greece had departed. The gates were opened, and the people went forth to see the plain and the camp. And one said to another as they went, Here they set the battle in array, and there were the tents of the fierce Achilles, and there lay the ships. And some stood and marvelled at the great peace-offering to Minerva, even the horse of wood. And Thyometes, who was one of the elders of the city, was the first to advise that it should be brought within the walls and set in the citadel. Now whether he gave this counsel out of a false heart, or because the gods would have it so, no man knows. But Capus and others with him said that it should be drowned in water or burned with fire, or that men should pierce it and see whether there were aught within and the people were divided, some crying one thing and some another. Then came forward the priest of Laocoon, and a great company with him, crying, What madness is this? Think ye that the men of Greece are indeed departed, or that there is any profit in their gifts? Surely there are armed men in this mighty horse, or haply they have made it that they may look down upon our walls." touch it not, for as for these men of Greece, I fear them, even though they bring gifts in their hands. And as he spake, he cast his great spear at the horse, so that it sounded again. But the gods would not that Troy should be saved. Meanwhile there came certain shepherds, dragging with them one whose hands were bound behind his back. He had come forth to them, they said, of his own accord, when they were in the field. And first the young men gathered about him, mocking him. 
but when he cried aloud, What place is left for me? For the Greeks suffer me not to live, and the men of Troy cry for vengeance upon me. They rather pitied him, and bade him speak, and say whence he came, and what he had to tell. Then the man spake, turning to King Priam, I will speak the truth whatever befall me. My name is Sinon, and I deny not that I am a Greek. Haply thou hast heard the name of Palamedes, whom the Greeks slew, but now, being dead, lament. And the cause was that because he counselled peace, men falsely accused him of treason. Now of this Palamedes I was a poor kinsman, and followed him to Troy. And when he was dead, through the false witness of Ulysses, I lived in great grief and trouble, nor could I hold my peace, but swear that if I ever came back to Argos, I would avenge me of him that had done this deed. Then did Ulysses seek occasion against me, whispering evil things, nor rested till at the last, Calchas the soothsayer helping him. But what profit it that I should tell these things? For doubtless ye hold one Greek to be even as another. Wherefore slay me, and doubtless ye will do a pleasure to Ulysses and the sons of Atreus. Then they bade him tell on, and he said, Often would the Greeks have fled to their homes, being weary of the war, but still the stormy sea hindered them. And when this horse that ye see had been built, most of all did the dreadful thunder roll from the one end of the heaven to the other. Then the Greeks sent one who should inquire of Apollo, and Apollo answered them thus, Men of Greece, even as ye appease the winds with blood when ye came to Troy, so must ye appease them with blood now that ye would go from thence. Then did men tremble to think on whom the doom should fall, and Ulysses, with much clamour, drew forth Calchas the soothsayer into the midst, and bade him say who it was that the gods would have as a sacrifice. Then did many forebode evil for me. Ten days did the soothsayer keep silence, saying that he would not give any man to death. But then, for in truth the two had planned the matter beforehand, he spake, appointing me to die. And to this thing they all agreed, each being glad to turn to another, that which he feared for himself. But when the day was come, and all things were ready, the salted meal for the sacrifice, and the garlands, lo, I burst my bonds and fled, and hid myself in the sedges of a pool, waiting till they should have sail, if haply that might be. But never shall I see country, or father, or children again, for doubtless on these will they take vengeance for my flight. Only do thou, O king, have pity on me, who have suffered many things, not having harmed any man. And King Priam had pity on him, and bade them loose his bonds, saying, Whoever thou art, forget now thy country. Henceforth thou art one of us. But tell me true, why made they this huge horse? Who contrived it? What seek they by it? To please the gods, 
or to further their siege. Then said Sinan, and as he spake, he stretched his hands to the sky, I call you to witness, ye everlasting fires of heaven, that with good right I now break my oath of foulty, and reveal the secrets of my countrymen. Listen then, O king, all our hope has ever been in the help of Minerva. But from the day when Diomed and Ulysses dared, having bloody hands, to snatch her image from her holy place in Troy, her face was turned from us. Well do I remember how the eyes of the image, well nigh before they had said it in the camp, blazed with wrath, and how the salt sweat stood upon its limbs, ay, and how it thrice leapt from the ground, shaking shield and spear. Then Calchas told us that we must cross the seas again, and seek at home fresh omens for our war. And this, indeed, they are doing even now, and will return anon. Also the soothsayer said, Meanwhile ye must make the likeness of a horse, to be a peace-offering to Minerva, and take heed that ye make it huge of bulk, so that the men of Troy may not receive it into their gates, nor bring it within their walls, and get safety for themselves thereby. For if, he said, the men of Troy harm this image at all, they shall surely perish. But if they bring it into their city, then shall Asia lay siege hereafter to the city of Pelops, and our children shall suffer the doom which we would fain have brought on Troy. These words wrought much on the men of Troy, and as they pondered on them, lo, the gods sent another marvel to deceive them. For while Laocoon, the priest of Neptune, was slaying a bull at the altar of his god, there came two serpents across the sea from Tenedos, whose heads and necks, whereon were thick manes of hair, were high above the waves, and many scaly coils trailing behind in the waters. And when they reached the land, they still sped forward. Their eyes were red as blood, and blazed with fire, and their forked tongues hissed loud for rage. Then all the men of Troy grew pale with fear, and fled away. But these turned not aside this way or that, seeking Laocoon, where he stood. And first they wrapped themselves about his little sons one serpent about each, and began to devour them. And when the father would have given help to his children, having a sword in his hand, they seized upon himself, and bound him fast with their folds. Twice they compassed him about his body, and twice about his neck, lifting their heads far above him. And all the while he strove to tear them away with his hands, his priest's garlands dripping with blood. Nor did he cease to cry horribly aloud, even as a bull bellows when after an ill stroke of the axe it flees from the altar. But when their work was done, the two glided to the citadel of Minerva and hid themselves beneath the feet and the shield of the goddess. And men said one to another, Lo! The priest Laocoon has been judged according to his deeds, for he cast his spear against this holy thing, 
and now the gods have slain him. Then all cried out together that the horse of wood must be drawn into the citadel, whereupon they opened the Saiyan gate and pulled down the wall that was thereby, and put rollers under the feet of the horse and joined ropes thereto. So in much joy they drew it into the city, youths and maidens singing about it the while and laying their hands on the ropes with great gladness. And yet there wanted no signs and tokens of evil to come. Four times it halted on the threshold of the gate, and men might have heard a clashing of arms within. Cassandra also opened her mouth, prophesying evil, but no man heeded her, for that was ever the doom upon her, not to be believed, though speaking truth. So the men of Troy drew the horse into the city, and that night they kept a feast to all the gods with great joy, not knowing that the last day of the great city had come. But when night was now fully come, and the men of Troy lay asleep, lo, from the ship of King Agamemnon there rose up a flame for a signal to the Greeks. And these straightway manned their ships, and made across the sea from Tenedos, there being a great calm, and the moon also giving them light. Sinon likewise opened a secret door that was in the great horse, and the chiefs issued forth therefrom, and opened the gates of the city, slaying those that kept watch. Meanwhile there came a vision to Aeneas, who now, Hector being dead, was the chief hope and stay of the men of Troy. It was Hector's self that he seemed to see, but not such as he had seen him coming back rejoicing with the arms of Achilles, or setting fire to the ships. But even as he lay after that, Achilles dragged him at his chariot wheels, covered with dust and blood, his feet swollen and pierced through with thongs. To him said Aeneas, not knowing what he said, Why hast thou tarried so long? Much have we suffered waiting for thee. And what grief hath marked thy face, and whence these wounds? But to this the spirit answered nothing, but said, groaning the while, Fly, son of Venus, fly and save thee from these flames. The enemy is in the walls, and Troy hath utterly perished. If any hand could have saved our city, this hand had done so. Thou art now the hope of Troy. Take then her gods, and flee with them for company, seeking the city that thou shalt one day build across the sea. And now the alarm of battle came nearer and nearer, and Aeneas, waking from sleep, climbed upon the roof and looked on the city. As a shepherd stands and sees a fierce flame sweeping before the south wind over the cornfields, or a flood rushing down from the mountains, so he stood. And as he looked, the great palace of Diophobus sank down in the fire, and the house of Eucalagon, that was hard by, blazed forth, till the sea of Sigium shone with the light. Then, scarce knowing what he sought, he girded on his armour, thinking perchance that he might yet win some place of vantage, or at the least might avenge himself on the enemy, 
or find honour in his death. But as he passed from out of his house, there met with Panthus, the priest of Apollo, that was on the citadel, who cried to him, O Aeneas, the glory is departed from Troy, and the Greeks have the mastery in the city, for armed men are coming forth from the great horse of wood, and thousands also swarm in at the gates, which Simon hath treacherously opened. And as he spake, others came up under the light of the moon, as Hypanus and Dymus and young Coriobus, who had but newly come to Troy, seeking Cassandra to be his wife, to whom Aeneas spake, If ye are minded, my brethren, to follow me to the death, come on, for how things fare this night ye see. The gods who were the stay of this city have departed from it, nor is aught remaining to which we may bring succour. Yet can we die as brave men in battle, and haply that he counts his life to be lost may yet save it. Then, even as ravening wolves hastened through the mist seeking for prey, so they went through the city, doing dreadful deeds. And for a while the men of Greece fled before them. First of all, there met them Androgeus, with a great company following him, who, thinking them to be friends, said, Haste, comrades, why are ye so late? We are spoiling this city of Troy, and ye are but newly come from the ships. But forthwith, for they answered him not as he had looked for, he knew that he had fallen among enemies. Then, even as one who treads upon a snake unawares among thorns, and flies from it when it rises angrily against him with swivelling neck, so Androgeus would have fled. But the men of Troy rushed on, and seeing that they knew all the place, and that great fear was upon the Greeks, slew many men. Then said Coriobus, we have good luck in this matter, my friends. Come now, let us change our shields and put upon us the armour of these Greeks. For whether we deal with our enemy by craft or by force, who will ask? Then he took to himself the helmet and shield of Androgeus, and also girded the sword upon him. In like manner did the others, and thus, going disguised among the Greeks, slew many, so that some again fled to the ships, and some were fain to climb into the horse of wood. But, lo, men came dragging by the hair from the temple of Minerva, the virgin Cassandra, whom, when Coriobus beheld, and how she lifted up her eyes to heaven, but as for her hands they were bound with iron, he endured not the sight, but threw himself upon those that dragged her, the others following him. Then did a grievous mischance befall them, for the men of Troy that stood upon the roof of the temple cast spears against them, judging them to be enemies. The Greeks also, being wroth that the virgins should be taken from them, fought the more fiercely, and many who had before been put to flight in the city came against them and prevailed, being indeed many against few. Then first of all fell Coriobus, being slain by Penelius the Boeotian, and Ripius also, the most righteous of all the sons of Troy. But the gods dealt not with him after his righteousness. Hypanus also was slain, 
and Dymas, and Panthus escaped not for all that more than other men he feared the gods, and was also the priest of Apollo. Then was Aeneas severed from the rest, having with him two only, Iphitus and Peleus, Iphitus being an old man, and Peleus sorely wounded by Ulysses, and these, hearing a great shouting, hastened to the palace of King Priam, where the battle was fiercer than in any place beside. For some of the Greeks were seeking to climb the walls, laying ladders thereto, whereon they stood, holding forth their shields with their left hands, and with their right grasping the roofs. And the men of Troy, on the other hand, being in the last extremity, tore down the battlements, and the gilded beams, wherewith the men of old had adorned the palace. Then Aeneas, knowing of a secret door, whereby the unhappy Andromache in past days had been wont to enter, bringing her son Astyanax to his grandfather, climbed on to the roof, and joined himself to those that fought therefrom. Now upon this roof there was a tower, whence all Troy could be seen, and the camp of the Greeks and the ships. This the men of Troy loosened from its foundations, with bars of iron, and thrust it over, so that it fell upon the enemy, slaying many of them. But not the less did others press forward, casting the wild stones, and javelins, and all that came to their hands. Meanwhile others sought to break down the gates of the palace. Pyrrhus, son of Achilles, being foremost among them, clad in shining armour of bronze. Like to a serpent was he, which sleeps during the winter, but in the spring comes forth into the light, full-fed on evil herbs, and, having cast his skin and renewed his youth, lifts his head into the light of the sun, and hisses with forked tongue. And with Pyrrhus were tall Periphus and Automedon, who had been armour-bearer to his father Achilles, and following them the youth of Skyros, which was the kingdom of his grandfather Lycomedes. With a great battle-axe he hewed through the doors, breaking down also the door-posts, though they were plated with bronze, making, as it were, a great window through which a man might see the palace within, the hall of King Priam, and of the kings who had reigned aforetime in Troy. But when they that were within perceived it, there arose a great cry of women wailing aloud and clinging to the doors and kissing them. But ever Pyrrhus pressed on, fierce and strong as ever was his father Achilles, nor could aught stand against him, either the doors or they that guarded them. Then, as a river bursts its banks, and overflows the plains, so did the sons of Greece rush into the palace. But old Priam, when he saw the enemy in his hall, girded on him his armour, which now, by reason of old age, he had long laid aside, and took a spear in his hand, and would have gone against the adversary, only Queen Hecuba called to him from where she sat for she and her daughters had fled to the great altar of the household gods, and sat crowded about it, like unto doves that are driven by a storm. Now the altar stood in an open court, 
that was in the midst of the palace, with a great bay-tree above it. So when she saw Priam, how he had girded himself with armour as a youth, she cried to him, and said, What hath bewitched thee that thou girdest thyself with armour? It is not the sword that shall help us this day, no, not though my own Hector were here, but rather the gods and their altars. Come hither to us, for here thou wilt be safe, or at the least wilt die with us. So she made the old man sit down in the midst, but lo, there came flying through the palace Polites, his son, wounded to death by the spear of Pyrrhus, and Pyrrhus close behind him. And he, even as he came into the sight of his father and his mother, fell dead upon the ground. But when King Priam saw it, he contained not himself, but cried aloud, Now may the gods, if there be any justice in heaven, recompense thee for this wickedness, seeing that thou hast not spared to slay the son before his father's eyes. Great Achilles, whom thou falsely callest thy sire, did not thus to Priam, though he was an enemy, but reverenced right and truth, and gave the body of Hector for burial, and sent me back to my city. And as he spake, the old man cast a spear, but aimless and without force, which pierced not even the boss of the shield. Then said the son of Achilles, Go thou, and tell my father of his unworthy son, and all these evil deeds, and that thou mayest tell him die. And as he spake, he caught in his left hand the old man's white hair, and dragged him, slipping the while in the blood of his own son, to the altar, and then, lifting his sword high for a blow, drove it to the hilt in the old man's side. So King Priam, who had ruled mightily over many peoples and countries in the land of Asia, was slain that night, having first seen Troy burning about him, and his citadel laid even with the ground. So was his carcass cast out upon the earth, headless and without a name. End of chapter 12